This week on Moms Moving On. At the initiation of a, of a divorce and timesharing, dads will go in one of two ways. They will either sort of exit stage left, they're not that interested, or they will get in there and kill it and be amazing fathers and rock stars. And, and you feel like, like I did my kids a favor by divorcing their dad because now their dad is so much better. It's sort of about boundaries and it's sort of about self-care. Are you at that point where your spouse's mental health issues or substance use issues are detrimentally impacting yourself and your children such that you may not recover? And when you reach that moment, whatever it is, I encourage you to take your courage with both hands and go because you need to protect yourself and your children. Life moves on, so why shouldn't we? This is Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, your host of Moms Moving On, navigating divorce, co-parenting, single motherhood, and moving on. Welcome back to another Moms Moving On. I am so excited to have you here today because I feel like this conversation is way overdue. You've been asking me these questions for so long and I have the perfect person to answer them for you. We're going to be speaking with my friend Rebecca, who was raised in Philly, but she lives here in Miami now where I live. She attended Cornell University, graduating in 1997 with a Bachelor's of Science in Human Development and Family Studies. She then finally made her way down to Miami uh, for law school, actually where you guys know my husband went, and she graduated in 2000. She's always been really passionate about children's issues and opened her own law practice in 2003, concentrating on the needs of children in family court. She rapidly began building her caseload and her reputation as a strong voice for children as a guardian ad litem in dissolution cases. But wait, it gets better. She went back to school and received her master's degree in marriage and family therapy from Nova Southeastern University and was the first student in Nova's program to receive 100% on the comprehensive exam. Her practice, as always, remains very focused on meeting the psychological and emotional needs of children and of families in family court. Rebecca finds great joy and personal satisfaction in helping families seek new function and practical solutions so that parents can move on from the fatigue of litigation and move forward to enjoying their children every day. When she is not working, Rebecca enjoys spending time with her own two children, training for long distance races and Zumba classes. And Rebecca is here to talk with us today about getting divorced from someone who has substance abuse issues. I know you've asked a million questions and now we're gonna get right to the heart of things. Rebecca, thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's my great pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I feel like you do it all and then some, and I'm always <laughs> from thinking about all of it, but good for you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself now that I've given the formal intro? Sure. I think when I think about what I do professionally, because there's so many things that I do, the best umbrella that it fits under is the umbrella of child advocate. And so that's really my lane. I advocate for children and I do that as their guardian ad litem. I do that if I'm doing reunification therapy or supervised time sharing. I do that um, if I'm serving as their parents' parenting coordinator. I do that if I'm seeing parents Um, in my therapy practice, but I'm always involved in the court system in some way. And I'm always trying to look out for what's best for the children. I feel like I stand in their shoes. Absolutely. I think what's amazing about you is you can 
come at the legalities of, of, of divorce and all of that with the therapy perspective, which is so needed. You know, very often I feel my, um, my clients sometimes feel misunderstood. Like they're really going through emotional time and they're being forced to make decisions. And so the fact that you have both of these things, you are like a superpower. Thank you. I, I like to think that I'm, I'm multilingual and I speak two languages and I speak attorney for the mental health practitioners that I work with and for the clients that I work with, you know, the parties, but I also speak mental health for the attorneys that I work with. And so if they see an evaluation or a diagnosis, I can sort of unpack that for them. And so that's, I feel like it, it's, it's like being multilingual in many ways. Yeah. I I think that's fantastic. So, you know, I am a coach and I can only speak about what I know. And there are so many women who come to me and, and they tell me, I am terrified to leave. I know I want to. I know I have to. My ex-husband is an alcoholic or my soon-to-be ex-husband is an alcoholic or he abuses pills. And I am terrified that he'll have time alone with the kids. So I think I'm just mm-hmm. going to stay. And I always implore them to speak to an attorney in whatever state they're in because there are other options. But let's put it out there for them. What happens if you want to get divorced, but your spouse has these issues and you're fearful for what the split might mean for him and the kids? I think the one of the threshold questions that I always ask um, is really a question around issues of safety. You know, we, we have heard... You, these terms bandied about like a functional alcoholic or a functional addict or those kinds of things. And so the first question you really want to consider when thinking about allowing your spouse to have access to the children is whether or not the children will be safe. Um, and, and I really mean physical safety. That's always the first threshold question, right? If, if, if my spouse is going to be inebriated, then I really shouldn't let my children be in the car with my spouse, right? Because that's a safety concern. That's a primary safety concern. But there's lots of ways to, to practical ways really to, to move around that and to, and to allow access because at the end of the day, your children really want access to their other parent. Right. Um, and that's really what they need and want. And yes, that other parent has got issues, which will be something that they can work on. But to just deny them access to that parent um, really is, is pretty harmful and oftentimes damaging to the kids. That's a really good answer. And I think, you know, when we're, we're at the end of our marriage and at the end of our ropes with this other person, we tend to forget the importance of that other person's role in our children's lives. And of course, as moms, we just want safety and all good things for our kids. But how we feel is not how our children feel. But many of my clients fear co-parenting when their spouse has these issues. Again, in terms of safety, they don't want to leave the kids alone. Many of them have said, I've never left my child alone with my husband and we're married because I know he'll pass out from pills. How can this be navigated? Is there a way to approach this with the court? So there's two, the short answer is yes, right? The longer answer is there's the, um, there's two concepts you sort of, you sort of tied together there. One is about, again, access and time sharing which is whether or not I'm going to let my spouse see my children. And the, the second question is about decision-making, co-parenting. Mm-hmm. And that's about how, how am I and my spouse going to work towards being co-parents together? One of the things that I have found to be incredibly powerful for children is a conversation from either parent that says, your father and I discussed and your father and I made a decision that. Mm-hmm. And when children hear that, um, it provides them a tremendous amount of sense of um, stability and security because they know that mom and dad are talking. 
It also lets them know they can't get away with anything because mom and dad are talking. Right. So one of the things that you need to consider is how are you going to co-parent with your spouse as you move towards being co-parents and away from being spouses? And so what, what are the systems? What are the mechanisms? How are you going to do that? And again, how are you going to do that in a safe way? I'll, I'll tell a little bit of a war story. I had a case um, where I was the co-parenting counselor for two parties. They had divorced long ago, but they were struggling raising their daughters together. And the husband um, really struggled with, with some substance use and um, had was, was doing a lot of pot, which marijuana is not like a huge problematic drug, all things considered. It's on its way to being decriminalized and being legalized, um, but it does alter your mental state. And so one of my rules, of course, is if you show up to my office for therapy, you need to be straight and sober at the time. He arrived high. Right. And so I told him we couldn't have session, right? It was just the, the clear line, a clear boundary. And I think a, one of the things that really needs to happen if you've got a spouse who is got a substance use disorder or is really struggling with, with those kinds of issues is to really begin to think about what are your clear boundaries mm-hmm. and how to, how to be true to yourself and to, in fact, draw the line and stay on your side of the line. Yeah. And I think no exceptions. Yeah. I think that starts before the split, right? Because if you're allowing your husband to get high and then drive the kids to school, it's going to be really hard to argue that he's uh, unsafe for them after the facts. You know, I I feel like the question will be, well, why was he safe when you were married? So I think it's really getting clear on on those boundaries. And boundaries are so hard for people at the end of a marriage when they just don't know which way to feel or which end is up. So I love that you said that word. It's actually my favorite word. Um, I'm a big believer in boundaries. Yeah. How hard I've worked to set my own in my own divorce, um, how hard I'm working every day to enforce that. It's, it's a full-time job, but it's important. <laughs> it's really important to have these things laid out early on uh, in advance. Hey guys, Michelle here. I hope you are loving this episode as much as I am. We'll be back with more, but first, a word from our sponsor. Divorce is never easy. And when children are in the picture, it can be extra tricky, especially when communicating with your ex is a challenge. Now there's an app with you and your kids in mind. It's called FAIR, F-A-Y-R. FAIR is the easiest, most intuitive, and conflict-diffusing co-parenting app on the market. FAIR helps eliminate misunderstandings while also improving communication between co-parents. In the long run, creating a loving environment for your kids. Here's what you can do on the FAIR app. There's a time-sharing calendar to track custody, Exchange days and never forget those special events. Documentable text messaging. And an expense tracker so both parents can add and monitor expenses, track receipts, and add notes. GPS check-in. That's a court-verifiable way to document your presence at all GPS-verified locations. A monthly parenting report to download with your details. A private journal to take notes, add photos, and screenshots. A file vault to keep your records, photos, and documents organized and in one place. The opportunity to export all of your records into a convenient time and date stamped PDF when you need documentation for legal matters. And there's a Spanish version of the app as well. FAIR allows you to experience co-parenting in a totally new way. Simply, inexpensively, transparently, and fairly. Lose the he said, she said, and be the best parent you can be. Be F-A-Y-R FAIR. Subscribe at BeFair.com. 
That's B-E-F-A-Y-R.com. And then download FAIR from the App Store or Google Play. Go to FAIR.com for more details. Don't forget to use the code MICHELLE to save 20% off the cost of the app. What if you're dealing with someone who really just doesn't think they have a problem? Well, so there's a couple of tools in the, in the tool chest for that. One of the questions is, again, you go back to safety. Uh-huh. Um, and if they think they don't have a problem, this is one of my, my favorite techniques to use. Um, so somebody says, I don't have a problem. I'm, you know, I'm fine. There's no issues, whatever. And you say, okay, I need you to submit to a drug test. A- anytime I want you to. Yes. You have to submit to a drug test. Now, here's how you make that um, workable. This is the golden nugget, everybody. All right. This is how you make it workable. If your ex passes the test and is clean, you pay. And if your ex fails the test and is not clean, he pays. Okay. So there's an incentive for your ex to go ahead and take the drug test anytime you want because you're going to foot that bill because he's going to be clean and he's going to show it. Mm -hmm. Then it becomes your financial responsibility. Okay. And now what if, what if he's just refusing and won't go? Is there a way to enforce this? So a lot of parenting plans um, include things like step up plans in terms of access to children and the really good plans, like the ones that I write, um, include something that I call shoots and ladders. Please talk about that because this is something I, I talk about too. And, and there needs to be clarity on this step up sort of graduated parenting plan. So uh, hopefully many members of your audience are about our age and they're familiar with the board game, Shoots and Ladders. One of the best. Okay. So the theory in Shoots and Ladders is you work your way slowly up. And, but if you land on a slide or a shoot, you go all the way back down. Uh-huh. Okay. Similar system, right? So as you um, continue to uh, increase your ability to see your children, you continue your sobriety, you continue your path forward, whatever it is, if you're the spouse that's got the substance use um, issue, you can continue to have more access to your children. So you move from a few hours supervised to a few hours unsupervised. You take the next step up the ladder. You move to overnights unsupervised. You take the next step. You move to a weekend. You take the next step. You move right slowly but surely to whatever the end goal is. It's oftentimes 50-50, but not always. But if there's a failed drug test, you go right back down all the way back down to the bottom and you have to start over. You don't go, oh, but now I'm clean and I get to go back up here to the top of the ladder. No, no, no. You're clean and you get to go back to unsupervised for a short period of time. Right. And you know you know why I like this? And I, and I think it's so important that everybody is educated about this because you're not saying no to, to co-parenting. You're saying yes, but on certain terms. And so there's no, you know, you're not coming in this from a, you can't have the kids perspective. It's you can prove your worth to have more time with the kids and, and everyone kind of wins here. Right. I mean, I'll be the first to say, unless I am naive and don't know what I'm talking about. I have seen so many fathers who were not involved, who were sort of a hot mess in the marriage, really step up and come into their own as dads. I, I, I've seen it with my own ex-husband. Like I couldn't imagine him ever having a night alone with Bella. Now he has 50% and rocks it. So you do have to give them a little rope too, right? And, and let them so, prove themselves. 
It's interesting um, because there's certainly a phenomenon that I've noticed, and I think a lot of other family law attorneys would tell you this as well. With respect to dads in particular, it does seem to be gendered. At the initiation of a a divorce and time sharing, um, dads will go in one of two ways. They will either sort of exit stage left, they're not that interested, or they will get in there and kill it and be amazing fathers and rock stars. And, and I own, you feel like, like I did my kids a favor by divorcing their dad because now their dad is so much better. I once said that to my ex-husband and he was like, that is not true. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> you're a good dad now. Thank you. It's, it's, I will, you know, I, I am divorced, right? So I've experienced issues around divorce and time sharing and how do you negotiate that? And, and you know, it was a pretty calm, quiet divorce. Uh, all things considered, there was no litigation. It was by agreement. We saw the judge for five minutes. That was it. But my ex-husband has always been, and I will tell anyone who cares to listen, has always been a really good dad. He's just, he's got it. And, and the kids are blessed to have him as their father. And so that part makes it really easy for me. Yes. Well, that's great. I mean, listen, like I said earlier, just because you feel a certain way about your ex doesn't mean it's going to translate the same way for your children. And uh, substance abuse aside, you know, you, you gotta, mm-hmm. you gotta put your feelings aside and, and let the other parent mm-hmm. step into this role. But I love that now we have some strategy for what to do if yeah. substance abuse really is an issue. I mean, I was, I was terrified when I first separated that, you know, maybe my ex has a beer and falls asleep and doesn't hear her crying in the middle of the night because she was only two. None of those things ever came to fruition. Thank God. But if you really, truly feel like it might be an issue, speak to your legal professionals involved and Mm -hmm. let them know that you're willing to approach this from a graduated plan. You know, one of the one or two other things I really wanted to to talk about um, as we think about specifically substance use disorders, and that is that the mental health community has really come to understand that they're they're less mental health disorders and much more medical disorders. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important. And and in fact, um, the National Institute of Mental Health uh, on the federal level has issued an edict and a um, a directive to family courts all over the country to really treat substance use as a medical disorder and to not think of it as a mental health disorder, which serves several purposes. One of which is it it destigmatizes it. Right. Right. If you you have a medical problem, that's much different in in society's way of thinking than a mental health disorder. And it also sort of allows for understanding there's treatment and it can be managed the way that other medical disorders are managed. Diabetes is managed right? So, so can substance use be managed? And we really need to, to keep that in mind, particularly when we think about opioids, right. which is a whole new level of, of scariness in terms of substance use. Right. And I think the other thing we forget <clears throat> about compassion a lot is if yeah. someone is in this space where they've now found themselves addicted to opioids or, you know, they're drinking to self-soothe, we have to come at this from a place of compassion. They're not doing this to be downright evil and mean and destructive. Like there's something underneath there. So coming from it, coming, coming to it from a place of compassion is also going to go a long way too. you know, understanding that there's something deeper here that needs work. And it's not just, you know, a function of making you miserable. Oh, absolutely. And, and, Oftentimes, it's an underlying maybe mental health issue of some kind that is leading to the substance use. 
Yes. And so it's so important to be compassionate. And it's really important to think about therapy for the person who's, who's struggling with a substance use. Absolutely. I believe in therapy for all things. I have therapists for different topics. I have my co-parenting therapist. I have like my personal issues therapist. I believe in that all. And I know sometimes, you know, it's really hard to get somebody with issues to say, okay, yes, maybe I need some therapy. So I always advise my clients to come from it as a place of, we both need this, let's go together and let that therapist unpack what really needs to be unpacked. Um, I, I have a friend who, who talks about her therapist as being this wonderful experience, which of course it is, but, and I'm not her therapist, but she, she, but, but part of what makes therapy so great. And I always encourage people to, to go is because your therapist um, is on your side and has no agenda. Right. So what a great person to talk to about anything, really. Right. And, and I love that a therapist can help take the emotion out of whatever you're dealing with and help you see things clearly because it's so hard to do for yourself sometimes, especially in an emotionally charged, you know, state of divorce. Um, Absolutely. Rebecca, this is like a whole lot of really necessary information that you've given us in just a short amount of time. But I know, um, you know, we always, we always go to the final piece of advice. What is a piece of advice you would give to a woman who is desperate to get out of her marriage, but fearful because of the substance abuse or mental health issues her soon-to-be ex may have? It's sort of about boundaries and it's sort of about um, self-care. So are you at that point where your spouse's mental health issues or substance use issues are detrimentally impacting yourself and your children such that you, you may not recover. And when you reach that moment, whatever it is, many women will talk about sort of this watershed moment where yeah. the, this happened and it was this tiny little thing, but it was the straw that broke the camel's back. That's your moment. Yeah. And, and I encourage you to take your courage with both hands and go because you need to protect yourself and your children. You do. And you have to also know that the law will protect you if there really is an issue. Just ask questions. Mm -hmm. You don't know what you don't know. Call somebody mm -hmm. like Rebecca for clarity. Um, and know that it may be a difficult journey, but it's one worth taking for everybody's safety and well-being. Now, I'm, I'm a long distance. I'm a long distance runner. And I often say, or I don't say somebody else said, but I think it's great, right? The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. It really does. And you really have to put on blinders and look at it as a day by day process. You know, I think some women straight out of the gate want to know that once they do this, they're going to be okay. And I'm very clear on, no, it's going to be really ugly before it's beautiful again. But after the storm yeah. always comes the sunshine. Um, now that we're talking in like prose, what is, <laughs> what is your favorite quote? Well, maybe that was your favorite quote. It, it wasn't. Oh. Um, I, I have a favorite quote that I used in my senior year yearbook. That's oh. how old this quotation is. I've been using it for years. Um, I'll give a little context first, which is it's from a song by Peter Gabriel. And the song is called Biko. And it talks about Stephen Biko, who in September of 1977, was arrested by the police in South Africa and beaten to death in the interrogation room. Um, and that was the watershed moment that led to the ending of apartheid in South Africa. Wow. So you were the, a good thinker in high school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe. 
Um, so the quotation is as follows. You can blow out the candle, but you can't blow out the fire. Once the flame begins to catch, the wind will blow it higher. Wow. I like that a lot. That is from the song Biko. Um, I remember my high school yearbook, everybody having quotes from the Dave Matthews band. Who I oh. have <laughs> but my I, I mine was a Sylvia Plath quote, like, you know, the known psychopath, but I loved her her writing. I thought she was fantastic. And I remember having that quote and people looking at me sideways, but I still stand by it. Anyway, Rebecca Amster Cantor, you are a breath of fresh air. I'm so glad we were finally connected. I'm glad my listeners get to hear from you. Where can they find you if they have more questions? So they can find me uh, on the internet, right? That's, that's where everybody is. But, but more specifically, um, my Instagram is the attorney therapist. Um, so at the attorney therapist, all one word. And um, my website is www.amsterfamilylaw.com. And I have a Facebook page, Law Offices of Rebecca Amster, PA. So I'm, I'm around. I'm sure you can just Google her name and find so much. Um, but I'm <laughs> her out. Rebecca, thank you again for being here. To everybody listening, I appreciate you. I hope you found this episode helpful. Be in touch with any questions if you have them. Otherwise, stay strong and we'll see you in our next episode. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Moms Moving On. I hope you found today's episode to be helpful, inspiring, and give you the advice you need to feel empowered and strong as you move on. Don't forget to come say hi on Instagram at the Michelle Dempsey and drop us a line if there's a specific topic or subject you'd like us to discuss. Thanks. Stay strong.